What's up, Upper Room family? It's Jehoshaphat. Man, this last weekend was so beautiful. It was our advanced service weekend. We saw the Lord show up in such a powerful way. It was pure. It was beautiful. It was holy. We literally set a table before the Lord, literally in the middle of our congregation, and the Lord came to feast with us. It was our desire to bring a sacrificial offering before the Lord for advance. They are 820 saying, God, we want to partner with you, with what you're doing here on the earth and bringing to say, God, build your resting place here, not just for Dallas, but for the nations. Miller went into this amazing word about measurements and the cubit measurement and how God would show up with man while he was building. We see God's mighty hand, the seventh hand of God, the hand of help, the hand of deliverance, the hand of breakthrough. His hand is with us. Stay tuned and hear this word. We love you. May God bless you. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, go to Exodus. Uh, let's see. I've got a couple of scriptures. We'll start in Exodus 25. We love the Bible, Yes. So tonight is a holy night. Uh, we are actually uh, going to bring an offering before the Lord. This is our third service, and each service has been uniquely marked by the presence of God. I want to thank my staff. My staff has been in every single one of our services. Would you guys stand up? If you're a part of the Upper Room staff, would you stand? They have... Thank you, guys. Y'all are the best. Thank you. Uh, anyone wearing a shirt, they have been in all three services. We felt just as a team and staff that we wanted to be uh, present for the offering and uh, just to honor the Lord and honor you and honor where God is leading us. Uh, we've been leading up to this weekend for the last uh, three weekends, uh, talking about our advance day on August 20th, which is today. And so this will be the third time uh, the body has brought uh, their offerings for this new property. Um, if you're visiting with us, we are moving into a new property. It's just south of downtown in the Cedars neighborhood. We are really excited about it. It will double our space, which is needed. And uh, not only that, but it'll give us an opportunity, I think, to reach our city in a more effective way. Uh, we're believing to bridge the gap between North Dallas and South Dallas. We believe the Lord is setting a table for uh, the city of Dallas. And uh, a broom, Dallas is playing a part in that. Um, it's a small part, but I think it is a significant part. Uh, there'll be a house of prayer. There'll be a place that's marked by God's presence in downtown. We're gonna do more of the same, amen? And so uh, Advance Day is special to us as a family because of our history. Uh, five years ago today, on August 20th, we lost a spiritual father. His name was Terry Lindsay. And uh, Terry Lindsay was just the epitome. He was an iconic figure at the upper room. He embodied the heart of the father. If you were to walk into this room at any time, uh, prior to him going to be with Jesus, uh, you probably would have been met with a giant bear hug. Uh, he was known for his hugs. He was known for his wisdom. Um, he was known to hang out with a ton of millennials. In fact, uh, on August 19th, which was a Sunday night, uh, he was in this room as he always was, and he took a group of uh, young people out to eat. And uh, he went to sleep that night and he did not wake up. Uh, Terry had uh, seven kids. And uh, I preached at CFNI, CFNI uh, it was uh, opening rally, I think is what they call it. How many CFNI kiddos do we have? I know there's a ton of CFNI kids that are coming in. So we love our CFNI family. Um, I had preached opening rally there and walked off stage and I had a number of missed calls from his son. So we went out to Terrell, Texas and uh, the coroner was taking his body away and our, our, our hearts, our lives were rocked. Um, it was a very, very traumatic thing. And uh, we as a community began to mourn 
and process the death of this spiritual father. And in the process of uh, mourning, one of the words the Lord gave us was tarry before the throne of God with his hands raised, shouting this one word, and it was advance. Don't get stuck in the why. Don't get stuck in trying to reason it out, but continue forth in the purposes of God. And that has been a theme for us. It has been a theme for me personally. It's been a theme for his family. It's been a theme for our community. And so we're going to continue to advance, continue to move into God's purposes for us. And that's what this weekend is about. Is it about advancing forward? And there's a chasm. There's a financial chasm. I've mentioned this very, very bluntly, vulnerably. There's a chasm before us and we need God to bridge that chasm between where we're at and where he's leading us. There's been a, a dynamic architectural team and design team that has built this building. God has uh, brought them. He gave us this property, a million dollars off this property. I met the owner of the property in Jerusalem of all places, true story. Uh, we were having lunch. He lived in this neighborhood, but God took us both to Jerusalem to connect. And he said, I've got a property for you. We ended up purchasing, that, purchasing the property that we're moving into. Um, two and a half years ago. So we've been uh, uh, leading up to uh, this time and our hopes is to be in the building uh, by the end of the first quarter next year. So, uh, but we need your help and we've been asking you to pray. And so if you're visiting tonight, I don't think it's by coincidence that you're here. Uh, I think every small part makes up the larger whole. And so we're believing that our five loaves and two fishes are gonna multiply to feed the masses, amen? So I really sense though that the Lord spoke to me about this weekend, a word for our community. And uh, I was looking at Exodus chapter 25, verse eight, and it's where Moses is con uh, instructed by the Lord to construct uh, a tabernacle. And uh, it's Exodus 25, verse eight. He says, let them construct, everyone say construct, a sanctuary for me. And this is the purpose of a sanctuary. This is a purpose of, this, of a sanctuary. It's, it's a sanctuary so that the Lord the Lord may dwell with them. So it's not just a sanctuary for people. It's a sanctuary for people in whom the presence of God is resting upon. So this building, we believe, is for the Lord. We believe it's for the Lord's presence. We believe it's gonna be marked by the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. We experience that tonight, and we believe there's gonna be more of the same in this property. It's bigger, but it's under the same person. He told me he's gonna fill anything that we find. And I didn't know that he meant lines, literally, to get into this place. But the reason that there's lines isn't because it's filled with people. It's because it's marked by the presence of Jesus. I truly believe that with all of my heart. I love the little rhythm we got in today about it's not about fame. It's not about a name. It's not about buildings or land. But it's about your fame. It's about the fear in the name of the Lord, whatever it was. It was a good flow. But I was like, oh, my gosh, that's butter. Like, that is sweet. That is saucy. We love the sauce. That was saucy. And so, like, I'm just like, oh, God, that's our heart's cry this weekend. But, but he uses offerings. He uses finances. He uses buildings. These things are important. They're spiritual. They're sacred. This is a sacred place. People gave their lives to the Lord tonight. Why? Because there's a building and there's people gathering. And so God uses constructs like this, and he chooses to dwell in them. So I was reading this, and I was like, Lord, you're building your house you're constructing something for our family that's gonna be marked by your presence. And I kept reading. And so Exodus chapter 25, verse nine, it says, according to all that I am going to show you, show you. And then it says, as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furniture, 
just so you shall construct it. So the design was specific. And then he gets into the dimensions of the tabernacle and he gets into uh, the type of wood they're gonna use and he gets into the metrics. And he uses this word cubit or cubits. This is two and a half cubits mentioned in this verse. But this phrase cubit stuck out to me. I didn't know what a cubit is. Anyone know what a cubit is? I bet you don't know what a cubit is because we don't use cubits. We don't, right? It's an ancient way to measure something. They didn't have measuring sticks and measuring tape. They didn't have, uh, you know, the, 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 the ways that we uh, utilize instruments for engineering and measuring spaces, square footage, like none of that existed. And so they used cubits. And so I started looking, okay, when was the first cubit mentioned? Well, there was a, the first builder. The first builder was Noah. Noah built a what? An ark. And God gave him specific instructions. He said, it needs to be X amount of cubits long, X amount of cubits wide, X amount of cubits high. And then I started reading uh, about, we mentioned Moses' tabernacle. I mentioned uh, Solomon's temple, same thing. I want it to be X amount of cubits long, X amount of cubits high, X amount of cubits wide. And I was like, well, what's a cubit? I felt like a cubit was important. And I learned what a cubit was this week. You know what a cubit is? It's your forearm. This was the measuring utensil. This was the measuring tool that they would use to measure a building. So it is a laid down from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. Now that varies from person to person. And so um, in about the second century, even before Jesus, they determined that a cubit would have uh, a, a central measuring, and it would be six handbreadths. So do this. This is a handbreadth. It's four fingers. This is a handbreadth. And so the idea is that six handbreadths, if you start your, your uh, middle finger, if you put, and this is mainly for men, so this may not work for women, but this works for me. Uh, you start at the end of your index finger, and it is six handbreadths to the crease of your elbow. So it's six handbreadths equal one cubit. How many handbreadths equal one cubit? How many handbreadths equal one cubit? Okay, six cubit, six handbreadths equal one cubit. So I'm starting to learn that this week. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Six handbreadths equal one cubit. Well, I also learned that uh, that the, the 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 Hebrew word for cubit is this word right here. It's it's. Uh, where did it go? It's in my notes. It's a beautiful word. It starts with an A. There it is. Ama. Everyone say Ama. Ama means cubit in Hebrew. And this is what it means. It means the mother of the arm. So this was considered to be the mother of the arm. And you're like, why are you telling me this? What is the mother of the arm? Well, here's what they thought. They thought that the mother of the arm gave birth to ideas of the mind. So when someone had an idea to construct something, it was from the mother arm or the length of a cubit that it was built. Do you, do you, are you connecting it? And you can also see that, well, there's, there's a, a link from the cubit from the mind to the heart, but I'm not gonna go there. But a cubit represents what man can do in his own strength. Let me say it again. A cubit represents what man can do in his own strength. Six 
is the number of man. Six handbreadths equal one cubit. Cubit's how they measured things that they built. So the strength of man is seen in the measurement of a cubit. You're like, what's the point? I'll I'll take you to the point. But I, I really want you to see that you and I, in our own strength, are able to do things. There's nothing wrong with the strength of man. Like in its proper context. Like you working is a good thing. In fact, tonight, we have offerings that we're bringing to the altar that represent the fruit of your labor. The fruit of you waking up and working. Even the number six, it was determined that man should work six days a week and rest on the seventh. Man was actually created on the sixth day. So all this six is pointing to man and his strength. And man's able to do things. You look at uh, corporate America, you look at corporations, you look at uh, the produce that we're able, the the production that we're able to, to do, like just the innovations that have happened over time. I mean, I'm preaching tonight on an iPad. This represents the strength of man. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that man has cultivated the land and cultivated God's original design and the things that he has brought forth out of working the land. Like, Like at one point there were apple trees, but no apple pie. But someone in the strength of their hand had an idea that they would go from apple trees to apple pie. Thank God for apple pie. Even better, I'll one-up you, is bananas. Someone saw a banana and thought, we need to make banana pudding. Now tell me, banana pudding is worth celebrating. You're like, really, banana pudding? That's the best you can do? I'll give you electric cars. I'll give you the wheel. I'll give you all kinds of things that man has been able to do by working, by laboring, by cultivating. It's innate to us to work. But this is what the cubit represents. The cubit represents man's strength. I had a list of things that I wanted to celebrate that we have made. I mentioned Dippin' Dots. Do you love Dippin' Dots? I love Dippin' Dots. Oh my gosh. Uh, Oh, here we are, here we are. I said, I said, kinetic sand for parents. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Stuff doesn't go all over the place. Fidget spinners. Yeah. I, I'm a little ADD. Fidget spinners help me concentrate. Drones, the internet, airplanes, spaceships, AI, Chick-fil-A, somebody. I mean, I was just marveling at skyscrapers, like how they build a skyscraper. It's just It's the strength of a cubit. It's the strength of man's ability to produce. Six is the number of man. But I want to tell you that I found another measurement. And this is the point of tonight. I found another measurement. I found another measurement. And this theologically is called the royal cubit. Everyone say royal. It's the royal cubit. So this is actually only found twice in the Bible. It's in the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is a tough book to navigate, but towards the end of Ezekiel, chapters 40 through 48, is Ezekiel prophesying about a coming temple. 
He lays out blueprints from a coming temple. This is one of my favorite chapters just to kind of geek out on. At the end of the chapter, the last four words in Ezekiel have blessed me. It names the city in which this temple is dwelling. In the city's four words, the Lord is there. That's what this city's called. But there's a temple in a city called the Lord is there. And he's describing this temple. Now there's a commentary that I was reading and he makes this distinct this distinct uh, detail, there's a distinct detail that he draws out about Ezekiel talking about this temple. And what he says is he, he says that nowhere in Ezekiel 40 to 48 is anyone instructed to build this temple. And his interpretation is that this temple is actually not built by human hands, but it's built by God himself because it's a coming millennial temple. Now, I could get into some eschatology that would point to where this temple comes from and who will reign from this temple, but that's another lesson. But I want to point out to you the royal cubit that's found twice, once describing the walls, but the one I want to look at right now is in Ezekiel chapter 43, Ezekiel 43, and it's in verse 12. Now tell your neighbor, you're about to get some revy. Just tell your neighbors, say, this is about to be revelation. I don't know if you're ready. Because we're about to learn about the royal cubit. Sounds like a, a Nintendo game. The royal cubit. All right, Ezekiel 43. This was revelation to me this week, and I feel like it's a word for our community this weekend in light of the offering that we're about to bring. Ezekiel 43, verse 12. This is the law of the house. Say the law of the house. Let me say it again. This is the law of the house. Say law of the house. So this is that millennial house coming. Its entire area on the top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. Say the law of the house. Says it twice. So he's going to get into the measurements here and specifically the measurements of the altar in verse 13. And there are the measurements of the altar. And here's our word again. By cubits. Now it's plural, but look, it says the cubit. Now the cubit is six handbreadths. Everyone remember that? But it's the cubit being one cubit and a handbreadth. Wait a second. This is different than what we read, God instructing Moses. He just said, you build Moses by cubits. But this measurement is cubits and a handbreadth. Which means this isn't six handbreadths, it's What does seven represent? Divine completion. What does seven represent? The finished work. What does seventh rest? What does seventh represent? It represents rest and Shabbat rest. What's the point here? The point here is that there's a seventh hand. That the six hands represented by the cubit or man's strength is under the seventh hand, which is a divine strength that comes upon man's strength, but it's beyond man's strength. Let me say that again. It partners with man's strength. It uses man's strength, but it's actually beyond man's strength. It's the seventh hand. And Upper room. 
God's not measuring this house by cubits. God's measuring this house by a cubit and a handbreadth. Meaning there's a seventh hand that's coming that's gonna help us get from where we're at today to where we're going. Now I started thinking about cubits, I started thinking about hands, and I started studying it throughout scripture. And there's two stories that I wanna point out that reiterate the point that I'm trying to make to you before we bring our offerings to the Lord. The first one was uh, Elijah. Everyone say Elijah. Elijah was a bad mamba jamba. Elijah went toe to toe with 450 prophets of Baal. They had a showdown, Mount Carmel. Fascinating story. First Kings chapter 18. They all, the, the, the prophets go first of Baal. They bring all the, the, the wood and they're calling down fire from heaven to their God, Baal. And that offering stays dry. No fire touches it. He's, uh, Elijah actually starts making fun of them. It's, 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 it's kind of a funny scene. If you look at the Hebrew, the things that he was actually telling them. But, you know, then Elisha brings his offering. They pour water on the offering. God, uh, Elisha calls out to the God of Israel and fire consumes that offering. You familiar with this story? Well, the same day he went up a mountain because he told the king, he told Ahab, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. And he said, you know what? It's going to rain and I'm going to pray. And so that you know that I'm a true prophet of God, I'm going to go pray and watch a storm is coming. And so Elijah goes into the mountain, Mount Carmel, and he begins praying. And he has a servant there and he gets down on his knees and he prays and he tells his servant, he says, go and look and look, go and look for a cloud. And so he does it once and the servant goes and he looks for a cloud and he doesn't see a cloud. He comes back and he says, there's no cloud. So guess what? He prays again, sends his servant, no cloud, three times, no cloud, four times, no cloud, five times, no cloud, six times, no cloud. But on the seventh time, do you know what? The servant told Elijah, he said, I see a cloud. But the description of the cloud is important because it was the size of a man's hand. It was the seventh hand showing up. It was the seventh hand showing up. Elijah did his part. Elijah prayed. Elijah did what he could do. He watched and the seventh hand partnered with his prayers and brought rain to the land. Isn't that good? I'll give you one a little better. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. There was a, an enemy of Israel. He was a giant, probably the most famous giants. Of all the giants, he's the most famous giant. And his name was Goliath. Now, Interestingly enough, the Bible says that Goliath was six cubits tall, which a cubit's about 18 inches. So he was over nine feet tall and he was a giant and he was a champion, according to scripture, undefeated, and he was taunting God's people. He wasn't just taunting them. He would start with the highest authority. It says he was taunting their commanders, which means he would start with Saul, then he would go with Abner, and then he would just go on down the line, belittling them. And they were fearful of this giant that was how many cubits tall? Six cubits. How many handbreadths in a cubit? Six. It's also thought that Goliath had six fingers and six toes. Which if you put all that together, you get six, six, six. 
which 666 is also talked about in the Bible in the book of Revelation. What is it? It's the sign of the Antichrist. What does 666 represent? It represents man in total rebellion. But there was a boy sent to that field to deliver cheese to his brothers. He was a cheese boy. <laughs> there was no distinction to this kid. He was a kid. He was a shepherd boy. He was unknown. And he was sent by his dad, Jesse, to deliver cheese. That's a degrading position, I'm certain. And yet he hears this demonic voice taunting God's people. And he had a history with the seventh hand. He had a history with it. He had a private, personal history with it. He actually uses the words when he's in front of Saul. He says, listen, I've seen the Lord deliver me from the hand of both bear and lion. So Saul says, go fight. He goes down and he gets, you know, five smooth stones in his sling. He wouldn't wear Saul's armor. And when he's standing before the, the giant, the giant's taunting him. He's like, you coming at me with this little guy? And David, David looks at him in verse 46 of 1 Samuel 17. He says this, this day, the Lord will hand you over to me. He had a relationship with the seventh hand. David did his part in his strength. He whips that sling around, throws one stone, and God, the seventh hand, guides that thing to hit the temple of that giant, falls over. David cuts his head off. kingdom of God advances. It's a prophetic story for us. Little cheese people. That's all you are. You're just a cheese boy, cheese girl, trying to figure out your way in this world. But guess what? There's a seventh hand upon your life. There truly is. There's a seventh hand. We, we, we've got slings. We've got rocks. We've got ammunition and spiritual uh, weapons that we fight the good fight of faith with, but our hope is not in our own strength. My hope tonight is not in your ability to bring an offering that's going to meet the bill of the building. My hope is in your ability to bring your offering as he tells you to, and his hand to fall upon our collective offering to get us where we're supposed to go. That's where we're heading. That's what this is unto. It's unto the seventh hand. It's under the seventh hand. It's so when we get there, we don't go, wow, we made it there by cubits. We made it there by hand breaths. No, we made it there by the royal cubit. We made it there because God took a deep breath and he breathed upon our community and our sail was up and we were willing and ready to go where he's leading. This is not, you know, you know the famous scripture, not by might, not by power, but by, that's about building. That's about constructing. And guys, it has never been more true of this community. It is not by might. It is not by power. But it is by the spirit of the Lord. For unless the Lord builds the house, the labors labor in vain. Does that mean we labor? Of course it means we labor. But our labor is not in vain. Why? Because the seventh hand is with us. It's about the seventh hand. It's about the seventh hand. So that when we get to that side, the only fingerprints on this story and journey are the seventh hand fingerprints. 
It's glory. It's glory. There's a weightiness to it. The hand of the Lord. There's so many promises associated with the hand of the Lord. I'm just going to read some scriptures to build your faith around the power of the hand. We need the hand of God tonight. Let me say it again. We need God's hand. I, I see a table, but I see underneath the table, I see the hands of the Lord receiving our offerings. That We're putting our offerings into his hands. Listen to this, Isaiah 43, verse 13. Every time you see the word hand up here, I want you to say it very loud. Ready? Isaiah 48, verse 13. It was my hand. Let me say that again. It was my hand that laid the foundations of the earth, my right that spread out the heavens above. There's a creative power to his hands. There's a sustaining power. Job 12, 9 and 10. Which of all these does not know that the, oh, the Lord has done this in his is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Psalms 139.10. Your shall lead me and your right shall hold me. Strengthening power. Isaiah 41 verse 10. So do not fear for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right upholding power. Psalms 37, 23, and 24. The steps of man are established by the Lord and he delights in his ways. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his. Come on, somebody. Saving power. Watch this. John 10, 27 through 29. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's. And probably my favorite scripture, one of, is in Psalm 16. It's about presence, joy, and pleasure. It says, you will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right, there are pleasures evermore. Do you know Isaiah 49, 16 says, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my. The hand of the Lord is here tonight. And here's the beauty about this offering is this offering actually isn't about you. Oftentimes when we think about bringing an offering, we're like, well, what do I get out of this? What's in it for me? You, I, I could talk to you about sowing and reaping. I could talk to you about the soil of the upper room and you know, you can't outgive God. I'm not gonna go there because I want you to know that this offering tonight has little to do with you and me. I think this offering tonight is about where we're going and the people that are going to be blessed because of your yes this weekend. The people that are going to encounter what you've been encountering because someone prior to you made a way for you to be into this room. Someone sacrificed. I remember when I thought $600,000 was a ton of money to get into this room. And $600,000 actually turned into a million. And I thought, oh my God, how are we going to get there? Well, tonight we need about eight and a half to continue to move forward. And I'm in that same place going, God, do you know who attends the upper room? Do you know? Do you see what I see? Oh, God. And when I look back, 
I see a hand that's been with me, although it's invisible. There's been a seventh hand. Yes, he's blessed our pursuits. Yes, he's blessed our initiatives. But there's been a seventh hand that shows up right on time. And he's gotten the glory of this story and he's gonna continue to get it. And I am looking at the chasm and I'm looking at where we're at, but my confidence isn't in what's in your hands tonight, but in the seventh hand that's gonna fall upon what's in your hands. This is the good fight of faith that we're in. And here's what I wanna tell you, is that if you're a part of the upper room, if you're a part of the upper room, if you attend here regularly, I'm gonna have a little family talk with you as your pastor, all right? Don't just be a taker. It doesn't matter. Listen, Jesus in Mark 12, I love this story. We have, we have uh, offering boxes in the corner. And back in the modern day temple, there were offering boxes. And you know, it actually says Jesus came in the triumphal entry in Mark chapter 11. But then it says at the end of Mark chapter 12, you can look at it. I forgot the exact verse, but it says he went and he sat by the treasury and he observed what they were giving. He watched them. And tonight I see the eye of the Lord. As much as I see the hand of the Lord, I see the eye of the Lord. I see him observing what we're giving. And it says this, it says rich people. It says rich people gave a lot, but Jesus wasn't moved by the rich. Do you know who he was moved by? He was moved by the widow who gave a mite. She gave the least, but what she had was all that she had. And it moved heaven. And we're talking about her tonight because of that offering that she made. What if she would have said, I don't have much to give. God, you wouldn't want this. She would have missed that eternal reality of what was happening in that moment. I know a little girl that attends this church and she's been saving her money for a bird, a bird. She's wanted a bird. So she made a deal with her parents. And the deal was, if you save the money for a bird, we'll get you that bird. Now, now, to save the money, she would have to do a lot of chores. And this bird specifically is over $200. She's a 10-year-old girl, and that's a lot of money for a 10-year-old girl. Well, guess how much money she has? Over $200. Guess what? She came to her parents this week, hearing about this offering, and this is what she said. I don't think I want a bird. I think I want to give my $200-plus to the Upper Room building. Listen. That to me, it's a 10-year-old giving the might. It's all she has. She ain't got anything else but that, but she's bringing what she has. Tony, who's our C, uh, CFO and handles all our finances, as he's been counting this weekend, he said, my favorite offering was an offering that was labeled sales from our lemonade stand, which means some kids got together with the intent to sell lemonade in their neighborhood so that they could give it as an offering. There's no excuse for you not to give tonight. Like there's not, especially if you're receiving from this house. Freely you've received, freely give. This is important to the Lord. It's an important moment. You know, the only time someone died in church is when they didn't respond rightly to the Holy Spirit in giving something. You think it's funny. I don't. I don't think it's funny at all. I just want to set you up for what you're entering into. And it's you being obedient to the Holy Spirit. It's you being obedient to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Because Peter looked at Ananias and Sapphira and said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Meaning you withheld from him. Don't withheld tonight. You're like, man, you're intense. I know. Because eternity is at stake. I truly believe that. In moments like this, listen, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so if you 
value this house. I just want to ask you to bring an offering tonight. Is that cool? Uh, We have offering pledges. These are the pledge cards. And we're literally gonna bring them to the table. Uh, Zion so beautifully presented our offering baskets tonight. And, uh, and so I wanna, I wanna draw your attention to it. Uh, if you would, please fill this out. Uh, no matter what you give, please fill this out. And there's a place for your name, your address, your email, and your phone number. We're not gonna badger you. We just wanna keep this for our records. But if you would put your name, your address, your email, and your phone number. And then there's two questions. Actually, there's three. The last one's, uh, you know, how long have you been here? But, but the, the, the two in the middle are what we're asking tonight. Today, I'm giving this amount. Today, I'm, I'm gonna give this amount. This is my, my offering tonight. I'm bringing this for the, the building. And then between now and the end of year, so December 31st, 2023, if you could give monthly an amount, what would that be? And that will just help us in our financing for the building and just us uh, uh, forecasting where we're going. So those are the two questions that we're asking uh, you to give. If you're visiting tonight, I don't think it's by chance that you're visiting tonight. This is a great opportunity to give. If you want to give one time, you can click on this QR code with your phone and there's a way to give through the QR code. But I asked it all give, especially if you're prompted by the Holy Spirit. And I want to say something to our online community. Uh, we love our online family. We love those that have been watching us, whether you're watching us live right now or you're watching uh, post tonight and you're streaming it throughout the week. We have thousands of people that are gleaning from this house and we want to invite our global family. This local family has impacted the globe and uh, we're now asking for our global family to impact the local family and we're asking for you to sow, we're asking for you to give, we're asking you to respond to the Holy Spirit. So there's ways on our YouTube channel that you can go, there's some links that you can click on that will direct you to our site so that you can give. But we just ask that you pray for us and that you give. I also wanna ask one more thing of this community tonight. Some of you may not have the means to give like a ton, but you may have uh, relatives, you may have parents that have seen the transformation that's taken place in your life. I wanna ask you to ask them. I I just, I think this is so good for people to get uh, into what God is doing. People are saying millennials and Gen Zers are leaving the church. They're saying they're leaving the church that urban downtown areas are becoming spiritual graveyards. Well, God has called us to the urban downtown areas. He's called us to the inner city and we are taking the gospel and we are seeing an impact. And so I make no qualms about you being an evangelist for what God's doing in this place because he's doing it. And so I'm asking you to ask your parents, ask your parents' parents, ask your grandparents, ask people if you can't give evangelize for it because we need the body of Christ to rally around what he's leading us to do in Dallas it's impacting the nations but i believe i believe it's going to impact our city so significantly i'm never asked like this but i just feel the faith for it tonight for you to do that so we're going to watch a video uh, Larissa was praying over our new property. This is the heart behind our entry into the property. You're really going to be moved by this prayers and the videos. After the video, our worship team's going to come up and they're going to lead us in about 10 minutes of worship or so. During that time, I just ask you, if you're here with a spouse or here with a friend, you may come up and I just want you to come and lay your offering in it and just say a prayer over our building. Come and release it and just say a prayer. Say a 10, 15 second prayer over this. And we're going to declare that this is a holy, sacred moment that you're standing in the presence of God and he's receiving our offerings tonight in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Play this video. Hey, Upper Room Dallas family, thank you for tuning in to the Upper Room Dallas podcast. Unfortunately, we are not able to show you this video, but we do have a word from Jehoshaphat.
Guys, we're so grateful for all of you and we're so thankful that you tune in weekly to hear what the Lord is doing. Hey guys, there is still a need and an opportunity to partner with what God is doing on the earth. We're going to build him a resting place. Go to buildtogether.upperroom.co for more information and for an opportunity to give and partner with us. Not just a one-time pledge, but a monthly offering before the Lord saying, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing on the earth. Won't you come and join us? Won't you come and be a partner? Won't you come and prepare the table for the Lord? Love you guys.